0: Welcome everybody. Um, We are like super pleased and honored to have Christy Duffy. She's the chief nursing officer for Optum and leader of a really um, magnificent program called the Optum House Calls. Um, So Christy, welcome and where are you joining us from?
1: Hi Jay, good morning. I'm actually in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. I uh, recently moved here about two years ago uh, from Maryland. As we're uh, empty nesters now, so <laughs> one in college and one out.
0: Nice, nice. Well, I'm a little jealous because I'm a northerner and in Michigan and Minnesota is my kind of hometown. And so everybody um, loves to go to Arizona. Uh, in fact. My son, Zach, is gonna be enrolling in Arizona State. So um, we'll be we'll be really thankful to go, to go down to Arizona a lot.
1: Oh, that's great, congratulations. It's about yeah. 75 here today. So I know you're a little colder there.
0: That's right. <laughs> well, hey, I, we'd love to just start out by learning a little bit more about you, your background, kind of what brought you into medicine in the first place.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, so I, my story is my, my mom um, was a secretary uh, for a surgeon, a general mm-hmm. surgeon. And um, it was about a two minute walk from the house. So mm-hmm. every day after school, I would walk to the office and I would assist <laughs> the nurse mm-hmm. and my mom and the doctor. And um, it was something that I always just wanted to do after I had that experience. Uh, I wanted to be a nurse. And I can remember from a young age telling my mom, hey, when I graduate, I'm gonna go to nursing school Uh, because I wanted to take care of people.
0: Yeah, you know, and those offices um, that were like um, just those small offices had such a like a family feel um, where people were welcomed. Um, That must have been a great experience.
1: Yeah, really, it was. It it actually gave me something to look forward to after school every day. Um, And I felt like you know just having the conversations with people sitting and waiting and then assisting the doctor always let me assist <laughs> with things, so <laughs> it was exciting. But it did have like a small family, family, uh, hometown feel. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's excellent. Well, um, you know, at Nava Health, we're really uh, interested in senior care. Like it is our focus and helping seniors to like live more fulfilling lives. Uh, do you have any like fond memory of a of a senior or a grandparent when you were growing up that really made an impression on you?
1: Yeah, um, actually, my my mother's parents, um, they actually lived down the street <laughs> from our house as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and they would you know, watch us after school, take care of us on the weekends. We would have Sunday dinner with them. And actually, every year they would take us on a two week vacation uh, to Savannah, Georgia, where they were from. And I just have the memories of of, you know, spending that quality time with them. And it always made me think about, you know, when I go to nursing school, I really wanted to take care of, of seniors. Uh, and so I, um, I got my degree, uh, my nursing degree, and then I went back to graduate school, and I got a uh, board certified in geriatric medicine, focused on seniors my whole career.
0: Wow, I didn't know that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, kind of, being able to connect that vision of a of a senior that is has wisdom and you know you spent time with with the patients who are so sick like many of our seniors are so sick you you really have that like that humanness as part of that that interaction so that that's such an awesome um feeling to be able to connect it to what you remember about you know your your grandparent you know christy um you lead- one of the like largest house calls programs in the country. Um, it's really a magnificent program. I am so impressed. Um, like 1.8 million visits by your nurse practitioners into the homes of um, patients, members um, who really do need a like a visit. Can you describe kind of what what motivated you to like Help develop this program? And how has it changed over the years?
1: Yeah, I um, actually, you know, I was really drawn to this program because uh, when the program first started, it was more of a bricks and mortar trying to get seniors into providers offices to get their annual wellness visits done. And um, it was difficult to get them there. And so we thought, well, why don't we just go to their house? (laughs) Uh, Why don't we just see them in in, in their surroundings? And and we took that that idea and made it a reality. And I'm really passionate about it. Um, And actually in 2000, it was about like 2009, uh, we were in six states. um, And and we actually in 2011 completed 100,000 visits for the year. And we were so excited that we went to 100,000 people's homes that otherwise may not have ever been seen. Um, and so when we just think about this program, we have, we have scaled this tremendously. Uh, we went from six states to now we're in 47 states. We have more than 2,600 advanced practice clinicians, primarily nurse practitioners, and uh, we do have some physician assistants. Um, but you know, going into the home and, and spending 45 minutes to an hour with someone that's, that's quality time. If you think about when you go into a provider's office and you have seven minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. I I can remember um, taking my son to the, to the doctor and I have like the list. And when I get in there, I I can't even find the list and remember why we're there. And he has to tell me why we're there. And you think about a senior um, in the office and feeling like, you know, Hey, I've got to get all these things out. And what if I forget something where, when you're in the home, there's things that you'll never see in a provider's office. You know mm-hmm. just just even assessing their living situation yeah you know, do they have do they have food do they have water mm-hmm. um, you know do they have electricity <laughs> these things matter as you think about you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs if they can't they can't get their food and water they're not going to worry about their medications yeah. and even looking at you know we, we look at all of their medications in the bottles to see are they taking them mm-hmm. um, and it's it's just it has evolved so much where um, we become really their eyes and ears, and and you talk. We talk a lot today about um, social determinants of health, and mm-hmm. it is really instrumental in in what we do. Um, I can remember when we first started, we were more focused on the, the medical side of it, yeah. and yeah. now it's evolving to not just medical but behavioral, as well as this, their social needs uh, and closing those gaps in care. and And this year, we'll complete. Um, 2 million house calls and actually tomorrow, we'll have 10 million house calls complete.
0: Wow. Since our inception, which is a
1: huge celebration.
0: (laughs) You know, it was always interesting. I remember this where, you know, you'd have a a senior who would come into the office and it was like an event um, that they would get all dressed up they'd kind of be on their best. And I don't think you ever learned as much as you do as what you just described about being there and learning about their situation. And how impactful that is to learn all these other things about that person to help them to better health. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I actually see it as a quarterback. You know, at the end of the day, when we go in, we're not one and done, but that we're also connecting that member to the to the care needs that they need. So if we identify gaps in care in the home, we're gonna mm-hmm. make sure we close that gap in care. Uh, and, and we don't just, you know, leave and that's it. And so we have a whole team behind the member. Um, so when we do leave that we actually make sure that we're following up on their care needs. Um, like I said, whether it's social, medical or behavioral, um, you know, and, and there's other things that we have evolved to as you were asking, there's yeah. we close about 86% of the stars and heatus gaps right in their home. Uh, mm-hmm. so we're doing point of care, blood testing, checking, you know, diabetics for their hemoglobin A1Cs, yeah. uh, and, and, um, we're doing diabetic eye scans, uh, bone mm-hmm. density testing. So we're bringing that all to the comfort of their home. And it is that's kind of great. funny. They, they do get dressed up for us and they're excited to see us in their home. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. it's, it's a big event. I, I yeah. went and did a house call and I can't remember. Um, the lady made us a cake and we had to eat the cake with her and, you yeah. know, it's, they, and right now, especially, they're so isolated, you know, with COVID and just um, not 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 being able to see their their family and their and their children.
0: Have they still been able to like accept you into their homes? Has that been a, a challenge with COVID, like like getting accepted? Has there been fear?
1: Well, actually, um, I would say in the beginning, um, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the beginning, we actually paused our house calls for a couple months, uh, where we were going into homes just because of a lot of the uncertainty. Uh, but we were doing virtual visits, and we were we were checking on people to ensure that um, yeah. they had what they needed but it's it's interesting because we've had an overwhelming sense of people want us to come into their home mm-hmm. and they want us to see them. Um, and you know just they're very welcoming um, little little resistance and if they don't want us to come into their home, we actually still do a virtual visit. So it's been really right. nice. Um, we had never done virtual virtual house calls before COVID and what I've seen with COVID is we've really accelerated our, um, you know, our development. I mean, just yeah. the speed of innovation, you know, from an a health perspective, you know, where mm-hmm. your SICCs couldn't go into the facilities and now covering telephonically. So mm-hmm. we, um, we stood up uh, house calls virtually. And last year we did more than hundred thousand virtual house calls. So uh, and we're continuing to do happen. that.
0: Do you think that's going to stick even after COVID, where there'll be, you know, like a lot of the virtual visits?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we want to make sure that we give optionality. And so yeah. uh, before, I think we're starting to see with this generation that they're more tech savvy. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, I talked to my mom. Uh, I FaceTime her, and she's on Facebook more than me. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, they're willing to um to have us um, to, to have us do a, a virtual visit but but honestly we would really rather be in their home just because of what you see everything that we can be their eyes and their ears yeah. um, and we try to get to everyone
0: yeah you know I'll give you a quick side story is that so when I was a practicing surgeon I did a lot of dialysis work and I actually did a house call one one house call to a dialysis patient who really couldn't get to my office. And I said, ah, it's on my way home. I'm just gonna stop by. And and you really did learn so much about that person. Plus, they were so appreciative when someone takes the time. I really think this House Calls Christy is kind of that epitome of patient-centric. It's yeah. like you're going to them and you're meeting their needs versus them having to schedule and come in and, and do the office visits. So, it's
1: it is, it is, It's interesting, isn't it, Jay? Because yeah. I think about medicine has been so reactionary, yeah. you know, where you're the transplant surgeon and you get, you get the person where they already have end-stage renal disease. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I look at house calls, I feel like this is an ability for us to get more upstream yeah. and connect people to care versus waiting for an incident to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we're able to help them navigate the system. And I think, you know, as, as we look at healthcare and how it's evolving, I mean, people want more of a consumer centric yeah. healthcare system. I mean, I was with my 26 year old and she said to me, mom, she, she has a, a pituitary adenoma mm-hmm. and she has to have MRIs to watch, you know, to make sure it's not getting any bigger. And she said, mom, why do I always have to keep track of when I need the MRI? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, exactly. does the, doctor, the nurse practitioner do that. And I'm like, what a novel idea, you know, to, to yeah. engage people instead of putting it all on, you know, the patient or the member's plate because yep. it is a lot to manage.
0: That is, that is so true and you know I, I, I do um, think that as we're evolving right we have to be mindful of the those that are really complex you know so the complex scenery. I know you're you and your team are experts in complexity because of not only the epidemic of chronic diseases but also that you know People are living longer with chronic diseases. So there's a whole lot of this. And I know that you also help to lead where your nurse practitioners go and see members, patients in the long-term care setting. Can you describe a little bit of that and, and that?
1: Sure, yeah, so I oversee our institutional special needs plan business. Uh, It was formerly formerly called Evercare. Actually, I started at United Health Group in 1998 as a new grad right out of NP school in the Evercare program. At the time it was a demonstration project with CMS. um, And it was started by two nurse practitioners where we actually have uh, nurse practitioners, physician assistants and nurses in the skilled nursing facilities Um, taking care of long-term care patients. And today we have about 1,600 clinicians in 33 states. Um, And when you think about this patient population, uh, these are people, the average age is about 83. Uh, When you talk about chronic conditions, they have about 15 chronic conditions and are on more than nine medications. Um, And these are people that are not going home. This is where they will reside. Um, and and it's, it's a very special program. And, and when I think about, um, you know, I've been doing this program for over 20 years, um, it's really impactful because we have the practitioners in the home every single day, seeing the members, seeing their patients. And we have 24 seven call uh, where we can treat acute and urgent issues and, and not have to send people to the hospital unnecessarily. So you think about sending an 83 year old demented patient to the hospital yeah. It's just going to have them regress even more because they're going to get confused, agitated, sedated. Where we can treat them in their home, in the nursing home, which is their home, and actually skill them without we can waive the three day um, hospital stay.
0: That's right. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize just the number of people who their home is really this long term care facility. And the ability to help with the management of that is. Um, it's such a value added for what you and, and your nurses do every day, right, to keep them out of the hospital. I know for a fact that if a patient with that much complexity shows up into an emergency room, it's very difficult for an ER doc to say, oh, well, you can go back. I mean, almost always they'll get admitted. Isn't that right?
1: Right. I mean, you're exactly right. When they're coming to the emergency room and and they're that complex, they're not sending them back to the nursing home. And so, and so that's why it's critical. Um, you know, if if a patient even goes to the ER, where a nurse practitioner or physician assistant's talk into the, the the ED physician to talk about you know their case, what's going on, and and if we can treat it in the nursing home, and typically we can. Uh, we can do, you know, IV antibiotics, um, IV fluids, stat labs. I mean, we can, we can basically provide a hospital setting right in the skilled nursing facility.
0: Yeah. So tell me about like when COVID hit, nursing homes were hit really hard. In fact, about 40% of all deaths occurred in the nursing home, you know, and how did it impact this program, this ISNIP program with, with COVID?
1: Yeah. I I mean, in my 20 some odd years in nursing, I, I've never, I've never experienced anything like this. Mm -hmm. Um, it was something that, you know, you're not trained in in school for, uh, and, and it was, um, it was really difficult. Um, it was difficult for, for all of us because I mean, we were all new at this. We have a, a, a new condition that, um, we didn't have the ability to, uh, treat. All we could really do was symptom management. And so um, it, it was It was very difficult A um, on the staff, the frontline staff, um, it was e- emotionally difficult. And I would say we were at times the only eyes and ears for the family. So um, in, in the nursing home, the families couldn't come visit their loved ones when they got sick. So we would FaceTime with you know, their, 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 their husband, the wife, their kids so that they could at least see their loved one. Um, I, I, I would say that um, we, we also um, tried to provide a lot of emotional support for our staff um, through, throughout the crisis because um, we, did, we did lose a lot of um, of our patients to death um, and and it was it was um it's it's been trying on the staff um, and so we really try to provide that emotional support that they need and I would say you know I'm very optimistic about our future. Um, what I've seen is, uh, the skilled nursing facilities have been the first place for the vaccine, for the vaccine, um, and and we're at about 85% of our members are now vaccinated. Um, and our staff is about 75% vaccinated. So, you know, we're seeing, and we're seeing good results where people are, are not getting COVID and going to the hospital yeah. and they're not dying from it. And we're also able to, uh, if people are getting COVID, we're also able to, we worked with United Health Group, um D department, and we're actually able to overnight the monoclonal antibodies and give our uh, patients those antibodies right in the skilled nursing facility. And we've seen phenomenal results. I think today we've given over, over 380 uh, patients, the, the monoclonal antibody, so.
0: Which is literally a lifesaver. I mean, it's yes. a lifesaver if you can get that uh, therapeutic treatment in before they get really sick, and so what, and you know, this this human aspect to what you're describing, um, I just want, you know, I think we know this, but many times the long-term care residents are in there for a long time, and so I'm sure many of your nurses and nurse practitioners, built up a relationship with them over time. And now to have this tragedy occur where a lot of them uh, passed away had to have been like really challenging part of this COVID um, pandemic.
1: Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, just at the rate of, of People dying in the nursing home. Jay, um, to your point, I mean, you, they become like family to you, um, and and it, it has been it's been really difficult. Um, and we're we're starting to see now though um, more of a pickup of people now coming to skilled nursing facilities and rolling in our program. So so we're seeing we're seeing you know more uptake too in our program because we were at times the only you know mid level providers in the facilities during, during this, this outbreak. Um, and and you know, people really were leaning on us.
0: What do you think we're, like, as far as lessons learned, I mean, to, to be able to keep uh, frail, elderly, complex patients safe, you know, uh, into the future, have we learned uh, a number of things and ways that we could do it better next time?
1: well I think I think we're much more prepared for the next time I mean um you know when when we had this this outbreak happen uh, our staff didn't even have the the PPE uh and so you know just trying to ensure that we have the personal protective equipment that they had the N95 mask and were fitted for the mask and um you know now I think I think we're gonna we're prepared, I don't want to say for anything, but we're very well prepared for what, what the future could bring um, as, as our, our staff have been trained uh, very robustly in infectious disease, um, you know, how to protect themselves, how to protect their patients. Um, so, so I think, you know, we all learned a lot. Um, and I think sometimes you have to slow down to speed up. There were times that we had to kind of slow down and say, okay, what's happening, you know, let's reset. And let's make sure everybody has the necessary equipment and training that they need. Um, and also, you know, I mean, we have to think about our. I really, I, I, I have probably five thousand nurse practitioners that I work with every day. And you have to think about, you know, their burnout, and that they've been on the front lines of this for the last twelve months. And in making sure that you know we're there for them, helping them, and that just because now we have a vaccine, they still have. I mean, some post-traumatic stress from all of this, um, yeah. and 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 what they've gone through. So we're working a lot on you know resiliency um, mm-hmm. and and giving them emotional support that they need.
0: You know, it's really the um, healthcare heroes. When I hear that word, I think about nurse practitioners going in. I think of the staff at the nursing homes and every day going in. You know, at risk for themselves. And I I do know Christy that many of like your nurse practitioners did get sick with COVID as well. And um, so this this took a lot of courage to continue working uh, during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, I I had about 30% of my workforce that actually tested positive uh, for COVID. So pretty significant number.
0: So one of the things that's really gotten a lot of interest lately is that, um, when we're taking care of patients, we've known this for a while that there is a disparity. So in COVID, disproportionately people of color were, were getting impacted by COVID-19. And we do understand that in healthcare, there's been a disparity. We just weren't able to understand kind of the impact of this. So I'm curious as to your thoughts around people of color and how we can help to close some of that uh, disparity.
1: You know, I I think from a a United Health Group perspective, I mean, we're we're working really hard to ensure that we have inclusive and diverse perspectives. And I think it all starts with your workforce, having a diverse workforce, Mm -hmm. having diverse leadership, and, and also focused on the training because I think you're right I think you know people of color have different needs um, and have different care gaps than, than others and I think you know it's a strong statement to acknowledge that we have work to do here um, and and we are working through it um, and and I would also say you know Jay I was I was I was um, we have a, an, a, an IND committee for our, our Optum enterprise clinical services team and dr. Aaron Cohen is working on I mean, even things like the EGFR calculation and, yeah. you know, just the disparity for, for African Americans in the diagnosis of kidney disease. And actually, um, they're being diagnosed later because of how that algorithm, you know, projects, projects them to have the disease. And so even looking at some of those things, you know, um, and, and how we're diagnosing people of color.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to, you know, being able to relate, like having a diverse workforce so that there's uh, the ability to relate more intimately with, you know, uh, people of color. But we've seen it also with vaccine hesitancy. Um, and we have to be able to relate to the, I mean, there, there's some strong feelings around um, the vaccine in people of color um, and be able to overcome that as well.
1: Yeah, and we've actually seen that in our skilled nursing facility and um, um, the staff, the, the, the people of color, the, the skilled nursing facility staff, more hesitant yeah. to getting yeah. the vaccine. And in fact, about 50% have gotten it where, you know, we're seeing in, in our, our workforce almost 80%. And, and we've been working to educate the skilled nursing facility staff and they're seeing the results uh, yeah. on the patient. So um, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time. Um, and I also think, you know, as, as we think about, like when we were talking about house calls or Optimate Home program, I mean, we're, we're ensuring that we're taking care, we're, go, we're giving care to everyone. And, you know, in rural Georgia, we're getting out there and we're seeing people. And, um, you know, these are people that otherwise may not have been seen or taken care of. Um, so, you know, I feel strongly about making sure that, that everyone is seen and getting the right care at the right time and at the right place.
0: Yeah, and I, I really um, like it's, it's hard to appreciate when it's such a large organization, but it is so locally based when it comes to the operations and the execution. It's like local people taking care of their community and the people in their community. And I think this really is a part of that secret around how you can be so effective in, in these programs that you're describing.
1: Yeah, and, I, and I, I totally agree. I mean, it, it is local. They live in there. Yeah. they live in the community. They see, you know, they see families and, and patients and members at Walmart and Target when they're yeah, shopping. Definitely. You know, I mean, it, it is local. Now, I would say there are some areas of the country where it's very hard to get uh, staff, like in in El Paso. You know, it, it's hard to get. Clinical staff, so we move folks to communities. We we have people travel and stay in the communities for weeks at times. Um, so you know we do everything we can to um, to get them in the into the community and taking care of patients and members.
0: Yeah, that's, a, that's awesome. This has been great. I'm gonna like close us out, uh, Christy, with um, a little prognostication, okay? Because I know that you're. Uh, very creative, and yeah, you're, you're an innovator, right? So, what do you think, like moving forward? Where where's going to be the innovation um, for kind of care and and all the things that we're talking about with senior care? Like, what types of innovation do you think is on the horizon?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think first and foremost, um, we have to con- we the future is we've got to connect all the care. So right now we have all of these these different fragmented I could say islands and how do we how do we connect them with bridges to ensure that a member's experience is seamless because we're still not there and I know Jay you and I work every single day on this you know how do we coordinate care how are we focused on care transitions that is really key um, I would say senior care or care at home is key um, and and I think you know some of the things that we talked about with with COVID and that people being more open to, to virtual care, um, yeah. and, and telemedicine. And I also think, you know, what I'm also seeing is, um, and I know you talked to, to Patrick about, um, you know, hospital at home and, mm-hmm. um, there's just so much, so much on the horizon. I would say the other thing that, that you and I have been working on too, is remote patient monitoring. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, so we've been, we have a program where we manage, um, full on our dual special needs plan members. Um, and we actually have them on remote patient monitoring a certain subset of them uh, for diabetes management, blood pressure management, uh, heart failure, where you know we have a, a nurse team that gets those alerts when a patient's weight may be going up a pound or their blood pressure may be going up so that we can engage in that care more timely versus waiting for them to get to the emergency room. So I think we're going to continue to see all of those things evolve, um, yeah. and I and I also think we're going to have more of a way to communicate um, uh, via um, you know via texting and applications. Exactly. Like you think you know you think about Amazon when you're when you're ordering something, you don't have to talk to yeah. anyone. <laughs> if you want to return exactly. something, you just print the label. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I, I think you know our. I think about my kids, and I think about you know the next generation, and. And what they want and what what they're they're gonna demand from us. And we do have to be more consumer centric.
0: Yeah, and it's almost like uh, it's just part of the culture now. I mean, it's so funny because like you're saying with with your children, like for my 17 year old, like he will text me all the time, but he may not wanna to talk to me. <laughs> as much as we used to do in the past, right? But texting, Hold on. When, when like they it's the
1: same. And when <laughs> they call you, you know you better pick up
0: because <laughs> right, exactly. something's wrong. I know. So, yeah, no, I actually, you know, it's been fabulous hearing your views on this, but that emphasis that you said at the beginning around coordinating the care, right? And, and we have a lot of solutions, but if I'm a patient member, I want to see that they're all working together right exactly. so that is our challenge uh Christy and I know that you you've uh, really moved that forward um significantly both in the programs that we've talked about but I think there's more to come in the future so um thank you so much
1: well, thanks for having me Jay and I look forward to partnering with you this year